got your Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about discouragement, about how to deal with discouragement. Uh, discouragement is a, is a scheme, a, a, pl- a, a strategy of the enemy to keep you from fulfilling God's plan for your life. Really what discouragement is. And uh, if you're like me, uh, I deal with discouragement. There's things in my life or in ministry that just haven't quite turned out the way that I thought that they would or that they should or when I thought that they would or should. I mean, I know God's not always on our schedule. He just ain't. And lots of times God's more, more interested in what's happening in you than what's happening to you. I mean, I know we're interested in what's happening to us. It's like, God, can't you see? But God's one, he's interested. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He's looking to see what's happening in this individual. So with discouragement, it's a scheme of the enemy just to stop you from doing the will of God. So there was other things I was going to teach this morning, start a new series and all that, but felt like the Lord uh, wanted me to teach on this because I see this, I deal with this a lot. I deal with people that get discouraged. Is it? possible to have an amazing experience with God on Sunday and by Wednesday (laughs) for you to be like is there is there a God where is it possible to live with Jesus for years and then and then you tell people I don't, I don't even know him. How many of y'all remember Peter? Peter walked on water. Walked on me. How many of y'all walked on water lately? Nobody. None of y'all have. And yet Peter had, and yet, and yet he denied Jesus three times. Even whenever Jesus told him, he said, you're going to deny me. He says, I'll never deny you. How many of you ever told Jesus anything like that? How Jesus. And we're sincere. How many of y'all know we're sincere? We're sincere. We're sincere, but life happens. Or the Bible says in this life, you're always going to have some, uh, the Bible says you're always going to have problems with the world, the flesh, and the devil. So something comes and discourages you. Is it possible to come up here to the front and get hands laid on you? Yes. I'm out here last Sunday. It was glorious. It was glorious. Wonderful. People up here, the altar full, people getting prayed for. Is it possible to not come back the following Sunday? After having an amazing experience with God on that Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Well, why does that happen? Well, just discouragement comes in. And uh, I deal with this a lot. People get discouraged in their life, in their ministry, in their money. And they, 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 they get stuck. A lot of college kids will change their major. How many times? A bunch College kids, why? They're just trying to figure out, just trying to figure out, what am I supposed to be doing? And then they start this, they're like, I'm going to be a physical therapist. And then after they do it for like six months, they're like, I'm, I'm not doing this the next 30 years of my life. So then they change it again. They just speak. And then sometimes they settle. And then they get, they get two years down the road, three years down the road. And they're just like, man, this is not quite what I thought it was going to be. This is not what I signed up for. And we get discouraged in life. Uh, how many of y'all got a mama? Yes. How many of y'all love your mama? I love her mama. Right? I actually, my mother, uh, my mother asked me yesterday, she said, what are you teaching on? I said, uh, if we faint not, just teach on, I felt like I should just teach on discouragement. She says, oh, I just had a devotion. And maybe, you know, maybe not everybody has a mom like mine, but my mom has like five devotions that she reads every day. She's got like a stack of devotions. 
true story. I mean, if you go, she's got, she's got one of those chairs that's got a sheet on it so that the cat hair don't get on it. And she sits in the sheet, and uh, she's got a stack of books, and she goes through her devotions. She says, oh, I got one. I just, I just read this one on discouragement. I said, take a picture of it. Send it to me. I may read it in church. So I'm going to read it to you just so that, because uh, I thought it was good. And uh, you always got to read something from your mama, don't you? Oh, y'all, y'all so sweet. You're like, amen. But she said, the, uh, the root of discouragement is unbelief. Perhaps you're discouraged because you think you aren't making enough money or you're frustrated in your job or maybe you're worried about your health problems. Discouragement is like a cloud and like all clouds, it obscures the warmth and joy of the sun. I thought that was good. It says, in this case of spiritual discouragement, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, is eclipsed in our lives And discouragement, watch this now, is Satan's device to thwart the work of God in our lives. Discouragement blinds our eyes to the mercy of God and makes us perceive only the unfavorable circumstances. And there's only one way to dispel discouragement. And it is not in our own strength or ingenuity. It is to turn in faith to God, believing that he loves us and is in control for the future. The Bible says, and I gave you this verse in your worship God, Psalm 27, 14. says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he will strengthen thine heart. So the problem that I have in teaching most of Sundays. I was just talking to Brent about this yesterday. Is I have so much material. I'm always asking the Lord. I got like a hundred examples in the Bible. About people that went through bouts of discouragement. Which ones are appropriate? And if you look from book to book, they all went through discouragement. Abraham went through discouragement. God said, hey, you're going to have a bunch of kids. And after 25 years of waiting, he still didn't have any. So he, he, took, he took matters into his own hand. How many ever did that? You're waiting on the Lord. He took matters into his own hand and slept with another woman to try to have one of these kids that God said that he was going to have. Noah built a boat for 100 years even though it had never rained. Moses dealt with people. How many ever have to deal with people? Aren't they something else? And constantly these people were discouraged and they're complaining. We want to go back to Egypt. And Moses is like, you were a slave. They're like, yeah, but they had good food. And he's like, what are y'all talking about? Y'all are crazy. So he's discouraged. He's like, Lord, just, just take me away from this situation. And he had a st- 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 stuttering problem. He had problems speaking. And yet he was the speaker for everyone. He, he was discouraged as a leader. The people were discouraged as followers. And all throughout the scripture, we have this theme of people that are just incredibly discouraged. Elijah, one of the most amazing men in the Old Testament, raising people from the dead, just like Peter in the New Testament. I mean, this guy, he was he was amazing guy. And yet we find him him in first Kings chapter 18 he said the Lord I'm all alone Lord I'm lonely Lord I'm all alone God I'm all alone and he 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 did this amazing miracle the the pinnacle of his career in ministry where I don't know if you remember the story but that he called down fire from heaven and it burned up this bonfire that he had made and 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 so he he had the 450 prophets of Baal killed 
Y'all aren't going to worship Baal anymore. Now you're going to worship God. And he comes off of that big, amazing Sunday service. Have you ever been to one of those amazing Sunday services? And then we find him. He's saying, Lord, he's suicidal. The Bible says he's sitting under a broom tree. And he says, Lord, I'm asking you to take my life. I don't want to live anymore. How can you go from an amazing Sunday service to a week later? You're saying, God, what is all of this for? But thank God for his goodness. God, the Bible says God sent an angel to strengthen him and to help him. And, and God, he will, if we'll stick with him, he will send, he'll do whatever it takes possible. If you'll stick with him, he will. If you'll wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. But what most people do is they get out of place. They get out of position or they try to help God along, right? Or they just, they just quit. They just quit. So I want to read in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And uh, in your worship guide, I gave you the first verse that we're going to read. And then I'm give, I gave you the last verse that we're going to read. But in between there is a block of verses that we're going to look at. And uh, I couldn't give all of it to you in the worship guide because it just take up too much room. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23, this is going to help you with discouragement and how to deal with it. Verse number 23, he says, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast without wavering. It's a good verse right there. Hold fast without wavering. Why? Because he's faithful. God's faithful who promised it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on, this, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. What's all that mean? All that means, if you serve the Lord, you still, there's a still standard that we're supposed to live to. Can't trample the grace of God. I'm under grace. Yeah, but you can't trample it. Don't, don't trample the grace of God. He died for you, but there's a certain standard that we're to live by. Verse number 30, it says, For, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will pay. I'm sorry. I think I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to go into 30. Anyway, it says, How much worse, worse punishment no, I'm sorry. I, I do want to keep reading. My apologies. For, for we know him. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will pay, says the Lord again. The Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it says, It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle by the reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plunder of, 
of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Last verse. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. I lied. Last one. 36. They're all good. For you have need of endurance. Everybody say endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Let me pray for you before we go any further. Thank you, Father God, uh, that, that we are endeavoring to cast not away our confidence. For there is a reward for us if we faint not. God, we endeavor the, this morning uh, uh, to, to lean on you. To be of good courage. And you will strengthen our heart. Wait on the Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said. There's a couple of things this week that I watched. How many of you ever seen TED Talks? How many of you ever watched TED Talks? Y'all know what that is? It's a guy named Ted. And just kidding. It's not a guy named Ted. Why did they call it Ted? I don't know. But there was a TED Talk that I watched maybe a week or so ago that I, I found really interesting because this woman was a teacher. She quit teaching and she became a psychologist. And the reason she quit teaching and became a psychologist is because she noticed that some kids seem to succeed and other kids wouldn't succeed. And some of the kids in her, in her class, even though they had more, they had a higher IQ, they didn't do as well as some of the other students who had a lower IQ. So she quits teaching. She goes back and gets her doctorate and becomes a psychologist. And she makes a career out of trying to figure out why do some kids succeed and other kids don't succeed? Why do some teenagers succeed and others don't? Why do some men and women succeed and others, others don't? So she set out uh, to start teaching. Testing people in their IQ, their social intellect, or their charisma, right? Got the charisma, their good looks, and their health. And she said, I want to find out if good looks is what helps people, if charisma is what helps people, if IQ is what helps people. Uh, what is it that makes people succeed? So she went to uh, West Point Military Academy and sat up there and said, I want to figure out which of these people will graduate and which will quit. And she went to the spelling bee and she says, I want to figure out which one of these kids will go far and which ones won't. She went to very bad school situations in inner Chicago and she went to rookie teachers and she said I want to know which one of these rookie teachers will stay in this school system and help these kids and which ones will go on and then she went to fortune 500 companies and said I want to know which of these salespeople will do really well in sales and won't do as well in sales so that was her job that was her career she spent all of this time going and she would give these people tests and she would give them IQ tests she would give them personality tests and she would look at their physical health and look at their good looks and after all of the data was collated, uh, collected she says we finally figured out what is it that makes some kids or teenagers or individuals successful and, and what, uh, uh, what, what causes others to not do well and she says it's not intellect it's not charisma or social intellect. It's not good looks. Some of you are like, Man. and it's not health. And she says, we've determined what causes some to succeed and others to not succeed. And she calls it grit. She says, we discovered that grit is, is more powerful than 
intellect. It's more powerful than charisma. She said that there's some students that don't have very high IQs, but they got a lot of grit. And they just purpose in their heart, I will not stinking quit. And they'll study that little spelling bee, even though they may be way up under some of the other kids. They just won't quit. They are gritty. So she gave a definition of grit, which I thought was interesting. And she says that grit... Uh, and I'm going to read this. You could, if you want to jot some things out of it, you can. It says, uh, grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina and sticking with your future, not just day in and day out, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years and working hard to make that future a reality. Our data tells us that there are many talented individuals who simply don't follow through. How many of y'all guilty? I know whenever I'm reading it, I'm just like, I duck my head like a cat, like, like a dog that's been shamed. Have you ever seen a dog that's been shamed tuck my tail? It says there's, there's just things that we don't follow through. And our data shows that it's unrelated to talent. So she ends her TED Talk saying, well, how do we make kids more grittier? And she says, we don't know yet. That's the next part of the study is how can we teach our kids to be more gritty? She said, the first thing that we've discovered, though, is if we can teach them that in adversity, whenever they don't do well, that there is still a reward there, then they're less likely to just quit and give up. And in Scripture, we see this theme over and over and over again that God wants us to hold fast to our confession of faith, not wavering, that we will reap if we faint not. But there's a tendency to faint, right? And I see, I see in my own life and I see people that, that they get discouraged discouraged they just get discouraged and most of the time the discouragement is because things haven't happened when they thought that they would happen how many of y'all know we like stuff quick how many of y'all like it quick I want it quick hot pocket 30 seconds right <laughs> give me my hot pocket in 30 seconds right now that's what I want give me my hot pocket we want things quick we want them quick but God doesn't deal in time. How many of y'all know there's no clocks in heaven? There are no clocks in heaven. A, a thousand years is as a day and as a day is as, as a thousand years. It's hard for us to wrap our brain around. One day to God is like a thousand years to us. And yet we, we, we want things quicker. But I want you to see, or I'm going to show you some places in, in Scripture of, of, of people that deal with the same discouragement that you and I deal with, but they had grit. Maybe not the most talented. How many of y'all know Jesus did not pick the most talented people? He just didn't. He didn't pick the most talented people. These were, a lot of them were just ragtag guys, man. But they were gritty. They were gritty. They had moments when they fell, but Peter got out that boat. Bid me to come, Jesus. Come on. I'm about to walk on this water. Just gritty. They come to arrest Jesus. Peter takes out his sword, tries to cut that guy's head off. Right? He missed and hit his ear, cut the ear off. Jesus put that ear back on there. I mean, I wish you were there for that. But Peter, he picked, he picked people that, that, were, that were gritty. And I want to show you in, in, in Scripture, we, we see this. And if you go to 1 Kings, uh, or, or we'll go to 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to read out a paper this morning. 2 Kings chapter 2. 
You can look it up on your phone if you want to. Second Kings chapter 2. I, I, I spoke a while ago about this guy named Elijah. He was powerful. Powerful. And he came out of that season of just despair. He's like, Lord, just kill me. This is not going well. But God sent an angel and strengthened him. He sent another angel and strengthened him. And then he gave him assignment. He says, go and find this boy. There's a man named Elisha. And I want you to anoint him. He's going to help you. I mean, I like when God sends you help. God just sends somebody to be a strength to you and God saw that he was having he was in despair and he sent angels to help him but he said I've got a man I want you to go and I want you to anoint him and his name's Elisha and he's going to help you so he goes and he finds Elisha and they build a bond and they he's mentoring Elisha but there comes a point now Elisha is going to have to deal with some discouragement and some disappointment how many y'all know that it, it doesn't care what color you are discouragement don't care how old you are don't care if you're single or whatever. That the enemy, he uses it. He takes, he's no respecter of persons. He brings it to every person. He don't care how long you serve the Lord. He bring it to you. So now he's going to bring it to Elisha. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into the heavens by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, Elijah is the older one. Elisha is the person that he's discipling. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elijah said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Or he said, Shut up. Shut up. Discouragement came. He said, Shut up. How many of y'all know discouragement comes in the forms of people sometimes? Don't you know? Don't you know? You should stop. You, should have, you shouldn't have came over to Bethel with him. He told you to stay. You should have just stayed. Shut up. Sometimes you just got to, when discouragement comes, when that cloud comes to brock out the rays of the sun, you, 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 gotta, you have to deal with that. So it says, so, so then Elisha said to, said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives... And as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. And now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said, Do you not know that the Lord will take away your servant from over you today? So he answered again, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Shut up. Leave me alone. But then Elisha said to him, Stay here, please. For the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I love this next part. It says, so the two of them went on. What I want you to see is that he had opportunity to quit and discouragement. Opportunity to quit and discouragement. Opportunity to quit and discouragement. But he had grit. And he said, I will not quit. I'm sticking with you. You're where I'm supposed to. To be. And we know that Elijah is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. And Jesus walks with us. 
And he'll give you opportunities to quit. How many of y'all know Jesus is kind? He really is kind. Jesus is so kind. But he'll give you opportunities to go on or he'll give you opportunities to settle. And discouragement will come and then you'll have the opportunity to quit. And then discouragement will come and then you have the opportunity to quit. But if you can be gritty, you can say, I will not quit. I am not satisfied and I will not go without you. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. If you remember Ruth, how many of y'all remember Ruth? She got her own book in the Bible. How many of y'all think she, was, she did something right? How many of y'all wish you had your own book in the Bible? Me too. The book of, the book of Burns. Uh, it just has a ring. I don't know. It was just, I mean, it's just uh, that. I could see a movie out of it. Man, we, we, could, we could go places. But Ruth, she got her own book in the Bible. And the reason she got her own book in the Bible is, is there's a woman named Naomi. And Naomi had a son. Naomi had a good life going for her. She had a good son. She had two, two strong boys who had married two pretty girls. And she's at a season of her life where she's just waiting for grandbabies. Give me some grandbabies. Then her husband dies. Then both of her boys die. Both of her sons die. Now, she's a woman, the Bible says that she's in distress. She's upset. Things not turning out the way that she thought they were going to turn out. So she comes and she, her, her two daughter-in-laws come to her and she says, she says, why don't y'all go find y'all some more men? Because I don't have any more sons to give you. She even says, if I did have, if I found a man and then I had some sons, by the time they got old enough to marry you, that would be weird. <laughs> I mean, I know that'd be weird, right? Yeah. So she tells him, she says, she says, go find a life, make a life for yourself, leave me, get out of here. And one of the daughters, who we never hear from again, one of the daughters-in-law, the Bible says that she kissed Naomi and she left. But the Bible says that Ruth clung to Naomi. In verse number 15 of Ruth chapter 1, verse number 15, uh, I, I want to I read it to you because I, I, I thought it's good. It says, y'all going to put it up there? There it is. It, and she says, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law says I don't have anything else to offer you just leave but but y'all probably heard this part of the story before she says no 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 where you go I'll go your people will be my people where you live I'll live and where you die I'll die I will not abandon you to be by yourself you don't have anybody fast forward Ruth meets a man named Boaz and he was wealthy handsome he was the bachelor of the day can I have a rose Boaz how many of y'all like that show don't lie all the guys are like I hate it my wife makes me watch it but he was he was he was the guy of the day but he took a liking to Ruth Long story short, they got married and had a son. Things turned around for Naomi. Now she's got the grandbaby that she always wanted. And now Ruth, because she stuck with it. She just, while other people left, she just stuck with it. Now things turned around for her. And she's got this boy. And this boy's name is Obed. 
But the best part of the story is Obed has a boy named Jesse. Jesse has a boy named David. David has a boy named Solomon. And generations later, out pops a baby named Jesus. Out comes Jesus. So whenever we stick with it, what's the moral of the story? When you stick with it, not only does life now eventually get better, but the choices that we stick with today, a hundred years from now, out comes the Savior of humanity from a little widow woman who just stuck with it. The Savior of the universe. And if you read the first chapter of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus, you'll see Boaz in there, who was even, he wasn't, he's not even a Jew, and yet he found himself in there because of a girl named Ruth. So now back to 2 Kings, because we have discouragement, you, an opportunity to quit, discouragement, an opportunity to quit, discouragement, an opportunity to quit, but now they're both going to step over, and they go on together, and it says, it, uh, the, the last part of the, the, it says, stay here for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. Then he stays. And then he says the last verse, in verse number nine, he says, ask what I may do for you. Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit fall upon me. So after he, he has a choice, he says, he says, uh, you should stay here. And the Lord gives us opportunity sometimes just to settle, just to stay. But if you want to go on, there is knee deep water. There is waist deep water. There is water that you can swim in. But here they get to the Jordan River and Elijah takes off his mantle, which is like his coat. You know, Aaron and them, they had their rods and their staffs and they would do miracles with those. Elijah takes off his coat and he strikes the Jordan River and the Jordan River parts. Pretty amazing. I mean, I like to see the Calcasieu River just part. Some of you fishermen, you'd be like, get the fish, get the fish. <laughs> they part, and then both of them walk across on dry ground. And I love it. I wish we had time to read it. But the sons of the prophets, you remember them? They were standing there watching all of this. All of the people that were the discouragers saying, don't you know, don't you know, don't you know. <laughs> Once they get across, they come down and they bow down. To Elisha and they say we'll do anything you tell us to do well the tune kind of changed for them didn't it the tune changed why because he just stuck with it opportunity he just says I will not quit I will not quit I will not quit Ruth said I will not quit I will not quit I will not quit and I see so many people and and I deal with discourage, discouragement just like anybody else says but but people that that they'll serve the Lord for maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe five years. I know people that used to teach Sunday school and now they, they won't go to, they won't, they won't be involved in church. They've been hurt or something's happened or they just got busy. How many of y'all know we just get busy? But, but whenever we purpose in our hearts say, I will not quit. I will not let the cloud of discouragement come in and mess me up. One of my favorite scriptures is the Bible says that through faith and patience, we obtain the promises. And we always think it's just faith. I've got faith that can move mountains. But it's not just faith that moves mountains. He says, by faith and patience, we obtain the promises. In other words, so much of life, a lot of times, is just patience. It's just waiting. 
and it's just sticking with it. Uh, I recently read uh, another article, and the two of these kind of helped spur this in me. Felt like I needed to teach on this. Uh, and some of y'all maybe saw this guy. Uh, he's he's a billionaire, and uh, he he's he. I don't forgot what his name is, but he started the Marquee Jet Company, which is the largest jet. Uh, private jet company in the world and he married the woman that invented Spanx. I mean, I've heard of Spanx, right? I just want you to know, guys, I hear that they've got Spanx for men now. You should run out there and get you some. But they're a very successful couple and this guy's an athlete and he does these long endurance marathons and uh, he was running one of these 100-mile marathons with five of his friends. There were six of them. So they each had to run about 15 miles apiece. And while they're running this, they noticed that there was one big 260-pound guy, which is a lot for an ultra-marathon runner. And he ran the whole 100 miles by himself. He broke all the small bones in his feet and his, his kidneys went into kidney failure. But he finished the race. He also has the, just, this is just a tidbit. He also has the most pull-ups in a 24-hour period of over 4,000 pull-ups in 24 hours. It's a pretty exceptional guy. So anyway, so this billionaire, he approaches this guy that ran 100 miles by himself. And he says, uh, I want to hire you to live with me. Because you clearly have something that I don't have. Because I was feeling pretty good about myself, about me and my five friends running 100 miles. But to see what you've accomplished. So he hires him to come. And then he wrote a book about it. But he hires this guy to come and live with him. And, of course, this guy's a Navy SEAL. And he's just got a lot of grit. So the first morning, they wake up. And he wakes him up at, like, 5 o'clock in the morning. He says, get up. Got to get up. And, of course, the billionaire, he's used to, like, mango and soup. And, you know, he's got a pretty, uh, pretty lush life. He gets up and he brings him in there. He says, how many pull-ups can you do? And he busted out, like, eight pull-ups. And he says, all right. He gave him 30 seconds to rest. He said, do it again. This time he did maybe six pull-ups, waited 30 seconds. And they did it again, maybe four more. And then he said he got down to where he couldn't do one pull-up. And then he drops down and he thought, well, that was a good workout. And then the guy said, now do 100 more. I mean, I'll just love people like that at the gym. <laughs> I mean, I'll just love those guys at the gym. You're just like, he told him, he said, you hired me to come and make you different. Do 100 more. And he says, it took me a couple hours. But he said, I did 100 more pull-ups. He said, after living with this guy, I realized that we just quit too soon. So the guy gave him this rule. And he says, as a Navy SEAL, we have what's called the 40% rule. And that just means whenever you think you're done, you're really only 40% done. That's the mentality of a Navy SEAL is, is you think that it's all over. And we think, no, you're only 40% there. So back to the original grit story. So how, well, how do we get more grit in people? Well, I think, uh, I think grit will serve all of us well in business and with your marriage and with raising your kids. I've already like, I'm already like planning like, how can I make my kids more gritty, <laughs> right? right? How can I make them more gritty? But spiritually, the most, most important grit you could ever have is not physical grit. It's not pull-ups. 
and it's not running marathons. The Bible says that bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. In other words, the most important grit that you and I could establish is not physical grit, but it is a grit on the inside of us that says, I will believe God. I will not be discouraged. I will not quit. I will not settle. I will possess the land. I will go forward. This is a dream he put in my heart. This is something he told me to do. This is, this is my kids I'm talking about. This is my business. This is my home. This is my marriage. I will not quit. I won't leave. I won't settle. And God honors that. And it seems like in 1 Kings that there were certain tests to pass. Right? He said, stay here in Jericho. He says, no, 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 I'm going on. Stay here in Bethel. No, 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 I'm going on. Stay here. He says, no, 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 I'm going on. And then after that, a miracle. After that, God showed up and the water parted. But it seems like it came after just passing some tests. I mean, I know we want God to show up the first time. God's not interested in doing that. God doesn't raise brats. He just don't. God, God doesn't raise brats. It's not what he does. You wouldn't do that for your own kids, right? You know, I'm not showing up for my kids uh, the first time. Your little butt's going to do this, right? I'm not giving you the answer to the test. Get your little butt over there and you study yourself. No, I'm not. You're going to do this, right? I'm not doing it for you. You're going to do it. And then as they mature, then you give them your mantle. You say, now, here's my mantle. You take this. You carry my name. You have my authority, and here's the keys to a 1987 Ford pickup truck with 300,000 miles on it. Here's the keys, right? Here's the mantle. And whenever you graduate college, then we'll come up with a different one. But for now, this is the one that you have. But all along the way, there is this discouragement. Just stay here. Don't you know? And it just comes in the form of voices. The last thing, last thing I want to give you is Jesus knows so much. Jesus is a genius. Not only is he kind, but he is spectacular. And he's a genius. And the thing that you need to know about discouragement is it's not just you. Sometimes we think, well, it's just me. It's just my thinking. Or that's just, that's just them trying to beat me down. Or that's just my in-laws. Or that's just, that's just this coming at me. But I want you to know you have an adversary. And the number one thing that the adversary is trying to do is he's trying to shake you off of the plan of God for your life. He does not mind you coming down to the front and getting hands laid on you and getting saved. He minds when you go on and you try to cross Jordan. That's what he minds. He don't care if you get saved. When you get saved, you're saved. And he, he, you miss hell and you make heaven. And he lost that part of it. But what he really don't want is the ten generations coming after you. Because he knows if he can stop you now, he don't have to worry about a savior coming later. So what he does is he brings discouragement to come and try to stop you in the plan of God for your life. He wants to distract you, get you busy, get you doing hobbies, get you doing all type of stuff. Why? Well, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus tells us, and I'll close with this. Jesus taught in parables. Oh, and I love this. I wish we had more time. We could get into this. But he gives a parable and he says, a farmer goes out. He sows seed. Some seed falls by the wayside, birds eat it. Some seed falls on concrete 
and the sun scorches it. Some seed falls and weeds come up and take the life out of the seed. But some seed falls on good ground and it bears 30, 60, 100 fold. And he closes the service. You are dismissed. And a bunch of people are like, my God, what in the world was that all about? So are we farming now? What is this guy talking about? But Jesus takes his disciples to the side. And he says, it's permitted to you to know what these other people don't know. Because you're my disciples, I'm going to explain to you this parable. They're leaving away. They're, they're going away ignorant, thinking I was talking about corn. But because you're my disciple, I'm going to tell you what this parable meant. And this is the explanation of the parable. He says, the farmer sows the word. Mark chapter 4, verse number 14. He says, the farmer sows the word. He says, it's really not about seed. I'm not talking about corn. I'm talking about the farmer. The seed of the word of God is planted in the soil of human hearts. Today, the seed of the word of God is going into the soil of your heart. And either it's going to find good ground. It's going to find ground with weeds. It's going to find ground with no root, wishy-washy. Flaky, flake out too much, you don't follow through, or it's going uh, to be stolen by the enemy. So he says, the farmer sows the word, Mark chapter 4, verse number 14. Y'all got it back there because I want them to see it. In Jesus' name. There you go. Look at that. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, who comes? Satan. Satan comes to do what? Take away the word. The moment you walk out of an amazing service or have a great devotion or have a good time with your girlfriend over coffee talking about scriptures, do not think that he's just going to let you walk out with all that encouragement. No, immediately the enemy comes. Satan comes. Why? To take away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, watch that now, because of the word. We have good intentions. He's not after our intentions. He's after the word. Why? Because the word bears 30, 60, or 100 fold. The word is what changes generations and destinies and futures. He's after the word. He comes, he comes, why? Because he says, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When persecution comes, they fall away. Others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But others, like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it. They produce a crop some 30, 60, 100 times what is Sown. If you know anything about farming, like I just planted ryegrass at my house. How many of y'all plant ryegrass? You, you probably don't have a horse. You do. You, 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 if you have a horse, you plant ryegrass. How many of y'all know whenever, whatever you plant, it don't come up that day? It just don't. Some seed takes years to germinate, literally. In the Old Testament, God gave them a strategy. He says, cast your seed upon the water. And you will find it after many days. What, what was he saying there? They would take seed and they would throw it on the river. And the river would carry it 
downstream. And whenever the, the, the water would overflow its banks, that seed would get in the fertile soil. And as they're traveling six months from the time that they let it go, six months later, they would walk into a harvest that they had thrown on the water months and months before. Some of y'all know that whenever we come in services and whenever we get in God's presence, he's depositing in things in us that may have no fruit for the next year of your life. No fruit for the next five years of your life. But if you'll water it, he will produce. If you'll cast not away your confidence, he says, you will reap if you faint not. 